0: It's a dark night. Dark night. it's a dark night, What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, and all work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. And on this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, Hopefully it's before the fight recording on Thursday. I know I said Wednesday, but uh, you know how uh, Dan Tom does on Hawaiian time. There was actually some technical and logistical error, uh, not errors, but uh, hurdles to get over before I could uh, start recording this here thing, which I'll spare you. Don't worry. But yeah, so here we are on Thursday morning when this is being recorded. So hopefully it'll be out by the afternoon time to your ears. Um, we're going to get right into it. Nothing to recap. We're back. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's nice to have some fights to break down Um uh, uh albeit it's been it has been uh again I'll spare you it's been a little bit harder <laughs> to break things down. But when I am sitting down and I'm watching this action, boy do I get excited um just to kind of get my gears going. Because martial arts is a great distraction. It's one of my favorite things about rolling in jujitsu. What I miss most, you don't think about your laundry or your laundry list of things to do. Um you're just kind of absorbed in the action. Obviously it's not the same, unfortunately, but Silver lining, I really do kind of get that jive and, and it's good to be back breaking down some tape again. So we got UFC 246 going down here in T-Mobile. And before we get to my actually uh, uh actually you know this podcast preview, I wanted to shout out another uh betting preview. If you guys remember um UFC 245 podcast, uh last big numbered event we did here, um I, I referenced a betting guide from my friends over at uh, mytopsportsbooks.com. Um, and they actually have a, a just a betting preview on Cerrone McGregor with odds and and prediction, uh, and it's and written by a dude uh, I he a former colleague uh, MMA junkie Trent Rian Smith who uh, you uh, may or may not be familiar with, uh, but yeah he, he puts out good work there, and uh, I would give him a shout anyways, but but of course uh, you know he's uh, teamed up over there with my uh, friends at sportsbooks dot com. And uh, I embedded a link for you to make it easy in the show notes, as per usual, uh, where I usually put timestamps, which we really won't need. Going to recap picks and plays at the very end. I'm going to get into the breakdown right after this. But again, check the show notes for that quick link over to mytopsportsbooks.com to check out that betting preview. Uh, good peeps over there. All right. Wow. Only about three minutes in, and we're going to be stop- starting from top to bottom, st- starting with the main event. Uh, Donald Cerrone and Car- And uh, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is your favorite. Minus 350. Donald Cerrone, the underdog. Come back on him. Plus 290 at the time of this recording. It's pretty much been bouncing within the range. Heavy money pouring in on McGregor, as many expected. Um, Will there be a bounce back on Cerrone? Uh, I'm sure there'll be a little bit, especially if that number keeps climbing. But um, as you probably already know by reading my breakdown, for anything that I miss, stats that I neglect to go over... um, the in-depth breakdown over at MMAJunkie.com, of course, video form and uh written uh over the yeah. But uh yeah, I, 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 I ended up going with McGregor kind of like a, you know, I, I didn't really give a prediction in my point counterpoint article. Um Thank you guys for checking out that or clicking on the breakdowns. They don't do as well as I'd like sometimes, but uh but you know, it's it's what it is. Uh a lot, of, a lot of traffic, a lot of content, and uh, technical law form has never been a big clicker, so I do appreciate you guys who take the time. I'd, obviously, if you're taking the time to listen to this, you probably take the time to check that out. And yeah, the numbers kind of like what I was pointing to. I'm not a big numbers guy, but you know, if we're talking about relevant to the arguments or relevant to the matchups at hand, sure. It I definitely uh, doesn't hurt to, to include them. And... Um, it, it it points to be a tough matchup for, for Cerrone on paper. Uh, you know, southpaws, he's officially 4-9 against him. And let's be honest, it could be 3-10. and 10 If you look at that last fight against Benson Henderson, which I went back and watched again, and I was just so blown away because not only did Benson, you know, I believe, outscore him. You can make a 30-27 argument, but easily 29-28. Um, like the things he was hitting him with, like he was hitting him with the knees, he was hitting him with the leg kicks, like he out-leg kicked Cerrone. Uh, which is not undoable. Like he, he like people have done it before, uh, but that was kind of the, one of the more uh, pronounced ones because, and he was hitting Cerrone with head kicks. Which again, Cerrone actually, for a guy who highlights reels people with head kicks, uh, Cerrone's susceptible to head kicks himself if you if you really want to throw it with him. So that that's you know, especially the, the the left head kicks, whether you're orthodox throwing it from your lead side or a southpaw throwing it to the head. So that's going to be really interesting because. Um, even though I, I do make the argument like 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 many and most have, have dissected McGregor's game through his eras. A lot of it, I mean, yeah, he'll get you know the uh, lead right-hand uppercut. He'll get a knockdown with that in the Cage Warriors time, and he's got the elbows against the fence, like I pointed out uh, and reminded people before the Khabib fight. Um, and he does some other things here in the clinch that I'll get to that I like as well. But yeah, I, I'm of the argument, like I was saying, that a lot of mcgregor's offense is meant to kind of corral him into that left-handed uh kill shot or his you know preferred kill zone which obviously that left hand and the way he pitches it all the angles that he does all the, the angles uh yeah yeah it, it does him very well but still that left high kick he, he can throw with a little bit of sting on it you know we saw with the dennis Seaver fight and others he will he he lean on it more um <clears throat> You know, we'll see if that opens up here, but I, I actually think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, the counter to that was, you know, with the point, count, point, counterpoint article policies for your dogs in the background, there, playing out there with me, ma, and uh, it's less noisy this way than them being in the other room. So well, what are you going to do? Hopefully it's not loud enough to set up it, set off any of your dogs. You, uh, dog owners know how that goes in the podcasts. A lot of us have dogs. And uh, we inadvertently set off your dogs through the broadcast, so apologies. But yeah, um, it's, you know, uh, the other counterpoint, I guess, is McGregor against tie-style kickers. He hasn't faced many, and when he did, you know, the 13 seconds against Aldo. um, And, uh, you know, know, Poirier has good tie-style kicks, uh, you know, when he lets him go, but that fight didn't last long. However... Despite that fight not lasting long or him also beating Dennis Seaver, who is granted a more karate style kicker, or we look at Max Holloway, who is more of just kickboxer, not not, uh, so much traditional Muay Thai, though he does throw the leg kicks and whatnot. It doesn't matter. All those guys, the leading department, they did well in distance against McGregor, and in leading within that distance department was leg kicks, where they all scored in the 90 plus percentile range. So against the guy like Cerrone, who has the most late kicks landed in UFC history, that's definitely a narrative to look out for. Um, and obviously there's pace, which we'll get to in a second. But I actually think it's going to come down to a lot of the clinch and body work is going to be uh, as far as the technics. I, I know that that word's not proper, but I, I always have that in my head. As far as the technics go, uh, I think it's going to come down to body work for both guys. Not just because Cerrone is quote-unquote um, weak to the body, which, you know, it's hard you know some people argue well he's been hit to the body before is it really that bad are we overblowing it I don't think so I don't think people give Cerrone's durability enough credit his chin really rarely does you know um, punches really put him out which was what was really disturbing about the Justin Gaethje fight. Not that it was surprising. I picked Justin Gaethje to win by knockout. Justin Gaethje has crazy knockout power. It's not surprising in that aspect. But really when you look at it, Cerrone has very underrated durability there. But the body has been a, a common thread throughout his career. And really you look at it, man. Like look at the scars and stuff. And it's been referenced on a broadcast here or there. But not in a while. So maybe people forget. But go ahead and look at Donald Cerrone. Look at all the scars. And know, somebody who carries thankfully not as many scars in that region. But some scars in that region uh, from surgery as well. You really see all this kind of roadmap of surgery from Cerrone, who apparently like had his guts almost piled out from like a dirt bike or motocross accident. Uh which that plus the drinking, you know, people uh surmise uh <laughs> could be uh uh what's the word I was looking for? Um as, as people speculate uh could be the reasons why he is, he is quote unquote weak to the body. And McGregor has always done underrated body work. I mean, even back to his cage warrior days from body punches. And of course, what is more popularized, the body teep. And I was a little bit worried about that body teep at first. But but um, because, you know, I I, I not only did I go back and watch a lot of Sorenese fights, I didn't go back and watch every fight. But I went back and watched from the beginning of the WEC and I pretty much watched like 80%. I almost watched every fight. And I really honed in on fights that, when when they weren't southpaws, like fights like against skilled strikers, like KJ Noons. And granted, it was kind of KJ Noons' downslide where he's doing fire department, coming off of injuries, already kind of had a foot out the door, not making excuses. But what I noticed about the KJ Noons fight was like, okay, let's see if he light, light, lights him up boxing range, like follows the Nate Diaz game plan. But KJ, who granted he has kickboxing and Muay Thai experience himself, and he's not too shabby in that area himself, he came out and kind of did straight up tie marching. And I think if you go, and he got eaten up by Cerrone real early, a quote-unquote slow-starting Cerrone, which I do, again, you want to think things are overblown. I do think that could be overblown as well, the slow start, um, but I don't think that the body work is overblown. Point is, when you go Muay Thai for Muay Thai with him, Cerrone will go light you up. When you go range for range, he'll, he'll light you up, um, or eventually light you up, uh, or, or at least right away, you know, uh, and get to galloping pace on his horse, which is bad because he gets scorecards that way. Um... So, so that could be a, a worry there. However, if you just stick to your weird Southball stylings, like you look at Ben Henderson, you can go kick for kick for Cerrone. Um, and even though Ben Henderson throws a different variety than Connor and uses pressure a lot less, and is obviously more of a round winner, a, a different style than Connor. Granted, um, if you look at how his awkward kidney kicks were able to score well with Cerrone, where they, you know. Um, not like Ben Hender, I mean, look at his, his thighs and stuff. I mean, the dude kicks hard. I'm not saying that he doesn't kick hard, but really, you look at it, he's more point scoring, right? Uh, so if you look at it in that aspect, I think actually McGregor's teep to the body, which I was initially worried about, like I was saying and explaining why, I think it could actually have some play as well. And again, body punching, you know, Nate Diaz has always been underrated clinch fighter, uh, not just from that Pettis fight, but even before then. The wrestling stuff was a bit surprising, but as far as Clint striking goes, he's always had that kind of quiet uh, body attacks. And not only was McGregor, who got outpaced and out-cardioed, back to the, you know, uh, or not back to, but getting to the pace argument that I touched on, uh, that I'm sure everybody else has brought to light as well, uh, everybody seems to focus on the boxing match with Floyd, where, of course, he was going to get tired in that, or, you know, uh, the fight where he had a full camp, granted, and Nate did it, and he got tired um i think it wasn't really an excuse i think he, mcgregor was right he mismanaged pace and he went and he adjusted those things and it was pretty impressive impressive considering the odds he was at with the ufc for retiring odds he was at with kavanaugh even while in camp um and then he comes and kind of adds you know i kind of over blew it he did throw leg kicks in his very first fight and maybe a couple other fights like tr- traditional tie style leg kicks um, but he really never really leaned on him and he, he leaned heavy on it for the Nate fight changes his style, adjusts his pace. And in the clinch, it was just really impressive doing that quiet body work, knowing how to roll with things, how to take things. And, um, as far as, you know, he has a pretty good, uh, radar for knees, which will come in handy. And el- as far as elbows go, I was reminded that he's kind of always had the, uh, the Leon Edwards elbow, which fucked up Gunnar Nelson and cut open Cerrone and Leon Edwards fight with Cerrone where he separates off the break with that elbow and Connor likes to do the same thing um not as much as Edwards but he does it enough for my liking where that was a big thing I was looking for in, in this fight so I think the clench is going to be a big thing and I think that McGregor is going to be able to defend takedowns because again everybody gets mad because you have to be like uh K- K- Khabib dominated McGregor, and McGregor had no moments. Oh, hell, Khabib. Oh, Khabib reaches for his. You know, it's just like, oh, God, like, relax. Like, you, you, what? He didn't dominate. Like, you can't say, like, like you know, McGregor had a, a, the third round, which he won, <laughs> despite being beat on, right? Despite being almost finished in the second round. Everybody focuses on that, but they don't really focus that, like, okay, the dude that, like, supposed to have no wrestling and cardio was able to shut down multiple takedowns, and, um... Although sadly didn't have the mustard of to, to put, put a, a sting on his punches to put Khabib away was, was still able to uh, land to put out more of a pace than, than Khabib. So, I mean, did, did it matter in the end? No, but it made the fight that much better because it gave it that not back and forth nature, but it gave it that levels. It gave it that peaks and valleys nature. Um, and you know, people got mad and said, Oh, you know, Connor was competitive and, and, um, which I believe he was. If you weren't picking him to win, he showed that he was more competitive than you thought. And even if you were picking him to win, you know, I thought if, you know, he was going to be on the bottom of Khabib the first two rounds, and I'm like, yeah, no, my, my pick would be garbage by then. Uh, I didn't think he would have that third round. Did the third round matter? Again, obviously no. But the point is, he he outperformed from the standards set upon him from his critics to his supporters. And you look at fights before or since, and Khabib, uh, the crop of Khabib and Magomedov opponents, you look how well he did. Then, um... Then, yeah, I, I feel like that opinion, um, it, it, which isn't a strong opinion, it's, God forbid, a fair opinion. Because, you know, in this culture today, we have to be on one side or the other. No room for gray zone. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that opinion um, has strengthened. And that's not even going into, which I'm not going to give credence to, by the way. That's not even going into whatever foot injury, whatever partying or whatever stuff he was doing, which neither would surprise me. Um <laughs> A lot of fighters do that, both going into fights injured and partying the week of. Um, you'd be surprised. Um, shoot, I saw one fighter uh, having drinks at a, at a club that I work security at, but prior to UFC 100, and uh, I'll just say he ended up getting posterized, and we'll leave it at that. But again, these things aren't a surprise. So, like, um, but I'm not giving credence to it. But like, yeah, like, uh, back to what that's relevant to is he was able to do that well against Khabib I'm not sure the level changing takedown that Cerrone does usually only early in the beginning of fights again I've been writing about that breaking that down uh it, including that in my breakdowns for years now that Cerrone will do it in a seed planning fashion to get in his opponent's head or to deter oncoming pressure or striker stuff so I think we'll see it we'll see it early but uh, he's not one to really chain chain too well And McGregor shows that he actually has multi-layered defense. Now, will it hold up all the time against the best guys? No. He'll still get taken down. But even when he gets taken down, you know, say what you will about his woo-woo movement, his athleticism and agility. Should he have the cardio not be worn down or hurt, he's got a really good uh, get-up game that reminds me, actually, like a prime BJ Penn, the way he he gets up, pushes the head, splits his hips, uh, scissor leverages off of his shin to kind of push off, and makes his way to his feet. Um... And, again, his grappling is really underrated to sweep, you know, Nate Diaz with the Kuru-Kuru sweep or, you know, Dennis Eaver, though. (laughs) A better ground game than people give him credit for is still not much to stand on. Um, uh, But, uh, you know, he hit the dope mount. And, uh, you know, even just looking from early in his career when guys would go to the floor, he was never afraid to go on their float. And Connor's always had a really, really strong top game. Um, It's just, you know... And he's really improved his jiu jitsu since his early prospect losses. So now it's just, it's a point of, you know, what's his preparation and, you know, uh, cardio gonna be like? Like with the Nate Diaz fight, like he shot in, and I don't even know how much he really even tired in that first fight, too. Like he got rocked, he got stung a couple times from that southpaw blind spot that I kind of touched on in my, you know, 20 finishes that helped shape the last decade. And that one was in there Nate Diaz's win over Connor at 196. He had that southpaw blind spot where Connor slips the first punch. He slips, he slips the uh, the right hand, but he's used to slipping right hands. Um, uh, and then he slips back in a, uh, into a range that's usually safe, you know, against an orthodox fighter, but against a southpaw and a long southpaw at that, you know, it fucked him up. I'll um, have to watch out for Cerrone's left hook, but I, I don't think it'll pose the same problem. Uh, as far as that context goes uh, again, I think it's going to come down to body work for Cerrone's body work. It's going to be that check knee like I wrote in the breakdown uh, and I've talked about before m- many times, you know, five, nine is that cutoff range. That's why I was really nervous about gets that Alexander Hernandez pick. And early on, Hernandez showed, you know, when he was trying to do his TJ Dillashaw impersonations, like he showed that he could kind of get around and use use the angles to get around and, and hit him. He just couldn't keep it up consistently and kind of lost track of things and unraveled once he started getting um, adversity, and Cerrone started getting his timing and working his way back into the fight. And even southpaws have struggled, like Jim Miller, right, who who sit at 5'8", um, or uh, Dunham, who's a 5'9", southpaw, right? Uh, and, and uh, you know, but once you get to 5'10", it can work for you if you're a gaichi, but or it could still maybe not work for you if you fight low 5'10" because you're more toward, closer to the side of 5'9", like an ally Quinta, right? And he got eaten up by that one, too, a bit, that shot, that knee. Uh, so it, it's deceptive. However, you look at guys like whether they're the offensive pressure tie strikers, like a Dos Anjos at at 5'9", generally listed at 5'9", that guy's more like a 5'7", five, 5'8", five, uh, or Benson Henderson, who's a legit 5'9", um, who, again, more point-scoring, countering uh, fighter. They were able to find the striking lanes around the knee, um, and land, you know, knees or body work shots and kicks uh, of their own, obviously. And I think McGregor can obviously find those angles. He's good at finding the southpaw tech angles, both offensively and defensively. Um, so I think that's what he does. That's what he does there. Uh, uh, like I said, I think he finishes it by the beginning of the second round. Uh, after probably hurting him in the first, he could finish him in the first. But that is my pick. If it goes past that, it's definitely dangerous. Yes, Cerrone's pace, he could pick up and and get a decision. And we're going to really see where the. uh, (laughs) We're going to see where the. You know, and I don't want to say where Nevada's uh, commissions' loyalties lie, because even though I have very little respect for them, that uh, athletic commissions and people who fucking dictate people's lives and affect people's careers under the guise of safety. Uh, like USADA as well. I really I have no sympathy for these organizations. However, the negligence is so bad that they could literally negligently like score a fight for Conor um, where he only won the first two rounds and uh, or do some majority draw stuff. And, and that's just legitimately the cards they came up with due to their just negligent judging. And it's going to look so bad just as far as the corruption angles and Conor and the eyes on this fight. So I could totally see it going that direction, too. I didn't bet this fight props. I didn't bet anything on this fight, to be honest. Uh, good luck if you did. Um, all right. That was a longer one. We're 21 minutes in or so, but we're going to go fast on these, I promise. Because uh, self-admittedly, uh, and I'll spare you the excuses, but yeah, I haven't been getting much sleep and much time to break things down. And yeah, things have been busy. So um I only say that I won't get into it. Uh, I only say that as just because I'm always very, for better or worse, mainly worse, to my own detriment. I'm very honest on this show. And know that of my seven listeners, (laughs) some of y'all actually do make some serious bets. And whether you make serious bets or for fun, um, like me, um, I I, I feel like I got to be just honest and forthright and do the work. And I stress out. (laughs) about this podcast more than you guys know and I'm going to have news about that not probably not the good news uh coming probably on Twitter um but yeah it, it's 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 just frustrating um and cuz I really want to bring you guys my very best of me and very best of my analysis and all that good stuff so just kind of a caveat uh I didn't watch any really any footage for this this fight of all fights I meant to and then I skipped over it and and did a did a decent amount of touching on the rest of the fights to give you some opinions here but for whatever reason, didn't watch much on Holly Holm, was your favorite in the co-main event, minus 135 in the rematch against Raquel Rocky Pennington, uh, plus 115. Um, I don't know what Holm opened at, but I know she was a little wider and it's been steadily tightening. I don't blame it because the first fight was deceptively competitive, uh, more than people give credit for. Pennington, in fact, was sh- if unless you follow Holm's boxing career, of course, was showing that, hey, this counter right hand's No matter what stance you're from, it's going to be the kryptonite for Holly Holm. It still is an MMA. It wasn't boxing, and uh, it it still is an MMA. So she kind of showed that in some of the first fight. Since then, obviously, um, things have been much better for Holm. She's gotten a title multiple times, won the title once, right? Whereas Pennington got her kind of reluctant title shot off of a really bad injury and against a really tough uh, goat in her prime, which was Amanda Nunes. Um, since then, though, she's kind of bounced back, showing some of her deceptive improvements, like in that James Duramente fight, even though she lost. Uh, I believe um, she was showing some improvements. She's working some things in the clinch, and her, you know, her, to get to her underrated submission grappling game. Right, just working that clinch and wrestling part of it more. Um, I think she applied it more in her last fight. Let me go. I'm sorry, guys. Again, I, I touched on this one and uh, didn't watch much. Um, and Holmes been kind of doing the same thing as I pull up this fight. Uh, oh, Adin Aldana won that split decision. I really wanted to go back and watch that, especially because how good Aldana's looked. And I'm sure just that alone, whether you go back and watch the fight, or you're just looking at it like me, doing the old sure dog breakdown there, Tapology breakdown, I should say. Shouts to Tapology. Um, anyways I use both. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that's that's definitely a lot of name respect. Uh, but back to the technique. Uh, evolvements or attempts to evolve since their first fight. Holmes has been doing kind of a similar thing with the grappling. Obviously worked poorly in the um, Chris Cyborg fight where essentially she was just doing like ended up doing like jiggle butt stomps against the fence while Cyborg waited for the brakes to punch her uh, with again the right hand, right? Um, and uh, God, why did I really just say jiggle? Wow Danny, you wonder why this <laughs> That's the quality you get, folks. Um, and um, I mean that all respect. Holmes, obviously, the a, a, a beautiful girl. And I, I didn't mean that in a negative way. But I also didn't mean that in just, just some sexist way. Yes, Dan, we get it. You're apologizing so you don't get fucking me too. <laughs> you respect women. I get it. We get it. We get it. All right, moving on. Um, which I do, obviously. I'm just joking and poking fun at myself as I tried to stumble to stay above water. Uh, And it it paid off more against Megan Anderson. Um, So I suspect Pennington will touch her with a couple counter right hands, but not enough to seriously rock her. Uh, If it does good on her, I'd be happy if Pennington pulls this off. But I think it's going to be a lot of uh, volume, uh, slightly edging out Pennington on the feet. And we're going to see mixed in with, from the last fight, we're going to see mixed in with pie some uh, uneventful clench stanzas. Or if they are eventful, they will be going in Raquel Pennington's favor, which will probably mean home will separate slash the next round, avoid the clenches altogether, and just continue um, her countering ways. She has been trying to change up her style, but I not really see too much of it, and it got her head kicked the last time she tried that, so... We'll see where her confidence is at coming off of those fights. Um, but I'm going to take home by decision. Not confident, not on the avoid list, in case you want to play it, but I'm not playing it for whatever that's worth. Uh, next fight, heavyweights, Jesus. Uh, Maurice Green, minus 130. Alexi Sexy Olenek, plus 110. Money came in on Alexi, and I think he went uh, took to even, and then he went back down to dogs. Um Probably was my initial imprint too, uh, so I picked o- Olenek. Uh, unfortunately, again, kind of what I kind of portended and won't get into. wasn't as prepared as I'd like to. And there's definitely no excuses with the break we had. <laughs> the reason why I'm not going to get into it. But yeah, I didn't have my tape study done before submitting picks, which I hate doing. Um, and this was but this was one where I kind of felt good about. And then I went back and looked, and I'm like, no, I'm going to keep my pick of o- o- Olenek here. Um, but, yeah, I could see, you know, Green... You know, I, I hate going against Factory X guys. You know, I'm a big fan of Mark Montoya and Factory X. And Green's be his third camp now, I believe, there. And he's looking more in shape, more in tune each time. Uh, he is going to be the more improving fighter. Um, however, Alexi Olenek's had some time off since his TKO losses. Camping still uh, with uh, American Top Team. Good to see. Um, again, we were talking about, like... we. we <laughs> I was having sidebars with some of the junkie guys in town we're like we had the most toughest walks to like the most like late laborious walks to the cage, and I think we all agree that Dan Kelly you know is the king of that uh department, but Alexi Olenek is not far behind he 's got to be number two or like guys of like they' on their walk to the cage You're like is this is this guy is this guy okay is he gonna make it <laughs> but um but he perseveres through, and Morris green he's got kind of a weird hitch on his i don 't know if it's because he used to be a lot heavier, and he's still whittling his way down, and or he's just tall, and that's just, you get, you get kind of, you know, your 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 coordination uh, points go down the taller you get, right? Um, uh, but he has this weird kind of hitch to him, it, it, kind of a hitch to his gait, especially when he's throwing or coming off of throwing kicks on his chambers and rechambers. He's got this weird hitch with his hips. And I was watching his second-to-last fight. I'm like, it looks like if somebody just walks into him, they don't even have to do a proper check or block, but if they just walk in while he's trying to kick really at any level and they just walk in and, 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 and suffocate the kick, he's going to fall back on his ass. Like, you don't even really have to take this guy down um, to get him down or to knock him off balance to really do much anything legitimate to hit him, to punch him even, or throw a punch to hit him off balance. You kind of have to walk forward on his kicks. And we saw... Um, Sergey Pavlovich to figure that out quite fast and get to his range quite fast and get the job done obviously you know Green didn't go completely out and he was protesting he still protests the stoppage somewhat I believe but like yeah that's kind of the path here and not not just for submissions but again Olinik and rock guys too we saw it with Mark Hunt even though that was a weird one Let me take a sip of my coffee the best part of waking up. Four Sigmatic in your cup. Why are you doing a Four Sigmatic commercial for Sean, in the Sean Connery voice, stand? I don't know. Um, Yeah, and so I think Olenek's going to just do that. He's going to be able to hit him with punches and boxing range because that's to stop Maurice Green's range. He's more athletic. He likes to throw kicks, likes opportunistic submissions. He's kind of more of those guys. Guys like opportunistic submissions, also like throwing kicks. Um, but, I, I, you know, in, in the clinch wrestling and even scrambling even though uh, you know don't know he'll come to life in the scrambles and he can come to life even at this advanced stage of his career i think enough to tax a guy like maurice green i think this is going to be just a a you know ain't a, just a, a prospect submission loss in, in a sense even even though he may have lost by submission already but yeah just looking at it uh, looking back um And looking at these stack-up, I I think that Maurice Green, a couple more fights under his belt, and Alexi Olnik just got a couple more wares, more hitches to his step. Then maybe Green does take this one, and I don't don't even really disagree with him being slightly favored to win, to be honest. I just feel like if Olnik cannot get completely rocked or iced with the first thing coming forward, that coming forward bullishly will actually pay dividends and force a mistake from Green, an off-balance trip, which will take Olenek into his world, which he might not even need a mistake at that point. Um, It's heavyweight MMA. Don't follow me off this cliff. But I did sprinkle a .75 uh, on an Olenek, plus 110 as the underdog. But, yeah, you might as well avoid that one. Next fight, Claudia Gajelia, minus 115. Money coming in on Grasso, minus 105. Line not making up its mind. Probably going to stay tight. Um, I'm picking Grasso here. Um, you know, Gadelia is just so tough. The camp jumping and all of the common threads is cardio. And I thought Random Marcos, who is just, I'm so bad. I always have this misplaced face with her. And we'll talk about another fighter who next who I may have the same problem with. Um, and uh, she's just is super consistently inconsistent and just shit the bed and just didn't force a fight. And it was not a high paced fight at all. It was a really, probably the most boring fight of the night um and uh so we didn't really the worst part was about that we didn't get to see cadelia tested her cardio and cadelia didn't grapple or have to grapple because grappling would have gotten her tired in that matchup against a scrambling wrestler she would have to work really hard for things i think uh and again grass and not grasso uh marcos kind of shed the bed by not pushing her grappling which is using what happens when she shits the bed um Whereas Grasso, it's tough. You know, you talk about layers of takedown defense. Grasso only has one layer. She has a sprawl. And then she'll be quick to go, like, go into, like, a sweep slash opportunistic submission. She falls into that honey trap every time. She loves her jiu-jitsu. Thankfully her, her, for her, her jiu-jitsu, it's always been underrated and has been getting even better. That being said, against, like, a three-round fight, if, if it's old Gladelia who comes out and tries to, like, Nova and Yao and just steal rounds and two out of three it, Right. She absolutely deserves to be favored. However, the problem is, has she gotten away from her wrestling with the Mark Henry fight? Or was that just a product or with the Mark Henry camp switch? Because she's only had one, which was, again, that Marcos fight. Or was that a product, again, of Marcos not grappling? So why not just, you know, um, counter-cross and left hooker, her, uh, her old bread and butter the whole time, right? Um, and then you look at the Sparza fight, and, you know, maybe... Maybe, again, it was karma because you could argue that Grasso's fight with Marcos should have been scored a different way. Either way, it was hard to disagree with the angry crowd there in Mexico City because, you know, it was a fight that the scorecards should have been all over the place, and it's a good fight, an example in that regard, so I'm not arguing that. But, um, you know, as far as how it was scored, like, I I don't know. I don't know if you score that. Like... And that's the thing about this fight, folks. I'm not sure what the rules were that they were doing in Mexico City. uh, But in Vegas, they should be. Don't quote me. They should be going by the newer rules here, at least in the sense of um, prioritizing damage first. And uh, I don't know about the 10-8 rounds, but the prioritizing damage is the thing I'm focusing on here. Because if the judges are doing that like they're supposed to, which they didn't against Grasso and Esparza, because if they did... Grasso should have got the first round. And even though I scored the second round for Esparza, even though she didn't do any damage, I felt like the two minutes plus another 30-second pocket, I think, earlier in the round. So arguably almost half the round of control time was enough to get her the round. But with the armbar catch and her getting rocked on the feet, uh, an armbar catch at the end and, and just... Um, Grosso not being hurt or phased. Like, I wouldn't have hated someone giving that round a 10-10. I wouldn't have done it, but just kind of to prove the point of why the Asparza scorecard, though, again, a fight where a scorecard should have been all the, all over the board, the fact that Asparza walked away with that one surprised me because he could even have argued a 10-10. And then, of course, um, the uh, third round, there was not only a Grosso round, but you could have argued a 10-8 because she bent, bends her arm back. Well, you know, we're not, you know... It, I always stress it on here. Like I get that grappling submissions are, are in, and much less off your back. You're always going to be at a handicap as far as trying to get earn respect, uh, earn respect in the form of points from judges. But they need to be awarding submission catches, you know, um, or advances control if they're rewarding control, you know, uh, and, and they, you know, in other words, rewarding the jujitsu aspects as well as the wrestling aspects of it. And there's not much to grade it on, but when you not only catch an armbar, but like she did at the end of the first, uh, end of the second round, uh, but when you're bending her elbow back like she did in the third round, plus rocking her repeatedly on the feet, like that should have been a 10-8. So that should have been a draw, for in my opinion, at the very least, or Grasso should have been the one walking away. Uh, not to harp on spilt milk, but it does something. It is something to keep in mind because not only do you have a grappling threat potentially in Claudia Gagelia, but you also have that dynamic, that question, which is going to possibly, I believe, hinge this fight unless Grasso is the one that finds a finish because I don't think Adelia will. Um, not with that Mexican chin and improved submissions uh, game from Grosso. Uh I think Grosso is the one more likely to get a finish, but I think this fight goes to the cards, which again brings it back to the, that dynamic. Are the judges going to be overly rewarding control or are they going to reward damage? Um Obviously, I'm hoping they reward damage because I'm picking Grosso. But here's another reason why. Because, again, I'm picking Grosso, not just because of the judges, but also this. Okay, let's say, let's say she does grapple. You are going to have to have that judges dynamic in mind. But here's the thing. Godelli is like one of those grapplers who they just kind of like Jose Aldo's or other fighters in their career. Even though they come from the jiu-jitsu base, maybe because their their muscle for their frame. They cut a lot of weight for their divisions. It's, it could be you know these other contributing common threads. But they tend to get tired as they grapple, you know, and we see even some wrestlers fall victim to that. You know, it's not always like, oh, he's been doing it like a wrestler when he decides to strike, he gets tired. Like, I think that was more of an observation of the earlier era MMA and the MMA where everybody is not just coming up well-rounded, even if they did specialize in wrestling and they do have to make the jump into striking later. You know, the lessons have been mapped out. The roadmaps have been kind of, are kind of already there. The information is there. The training is better. The better partners are there. So it's less of a hurdle and it's less of a surprise to see a jujitsu or a wrestler like look competent and striking. So I don't believe in that hard and fast rule that, that, you know, just because you did something all your life means you can never get tired doing it. That's bullshit. You can get tired doing it. And I think Gadelia is one of those who get tired, who gets tired grappling. So that's going to be the honey trap. She's got a, a better boxer than her uh a better mover than her and is going to be throwing a hell of a pace and hits fucking hard coming forward and off the counter on grasso so even if that's not gadelia's game plan which it kind of should be on paper to take grasso down it should be again looking at the of fight look at uh, gadelia's past style and where she comes from it should Even if it's not, I feel like she's going to be funneled and bottlenecked into that game plan really fast. And it's going to force her to grapple. And whether she's planning to grapple or even worse, if, again, she's bottlenecked and forced to grapple... She'll get tired even faster that way. I believe she'll just get tired in general if she's forced to grapple. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, she's favored because of this reason. Or if you're a supporter of Godelli, it's like, yeah, well, the takedown route, that's been Grasso's traditional trouble. And you're not wrong by saying that, but it's also one of those fights where what they do well almost could dig them in a deeper hole, uh, you know? Uh, again, these are those pacing issues back to the kind of Aldo comparison. So, I actually see Grosso either getting a finish late, a late third round TKO, or earning the decision by her late rally. It is being, in other words, her late rally will be enough this time, unlike the Asparza fight, Asparza fight to earn her the deserve a decision. If you got her at dog money, I believe it's worth a shot. I will if it returns that way. Again, I'm late to the game in so many ways this week, so of course I didn't. But uh I will be uh sprinkling on Grasso if that goes to dog money. All right, next fight. Carlos Diego Fajeda, minus two thirty. Anthony Pettis, come back, plus one ninety. Um, kind of a crazy fight. Like, you know, he, I was initially thinking Diego Fajeda here. You know, you look at Anthony Pettis again, so some fighters I think just the book is written on. Um and and we'll we we'll we'll get to that perhaps uh later or Maybe I've already touched on that on um, on on some, you know, like with Holly Holm with the right hand or there's a lot of examples there, but you know, with with Anthony Pettis, it's like Edson Barbosa, it's it's pressure. And, you know, eight or nine times out of ten at the UFC level, they tend to lose those fights against the pressure fighters. However, you know, Anthony Pettis has also beaten pressure fighters too. Um, like Michael Chiesa. Granted, Michael Kiesa not a great uh, litmus or not a great uh, comparison for Carlos Diego Fajeda um who you know say what you will about fejeda's striking it's much better than you know uh or it's much more put together and and, and systematic than uh chiesa's right it's more of a process to it not shitting on Kiesa. Kiesa yeah, has a complete different game and that's fine and actually it works for him i'm just saying as far as the relevance to this match and trying to trying to gauge how it goes um but uh yeah diego Fajeda um this could be a fight, too, that he mixes in takedowns. And that's what I'm going to be curious because Carlos Diego Fajita has proven that this pressure-fighting st- style, you know, down at 4-7 four, four May, obviously shouts to 4-7 to May, safe Sayud, another gym uh, I and many now uh, respect, of course. But Diego Fajita has shown that he can do it without takedowns. Uh, And he's shown uh, he can do it with takedown. So I'm curious if he does that, if he respects Pettis' guard, because even though Faye is not just your normal um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt folks, I mean, he's super legit, both competition and uh, multiple degree ranking, I believe, as well. Um, I still don't think he's going to submit Anthony Pettis. Uh, In fact, if you you flip a coin, I believe Anthony Pettis is the more likely fighter to get a submission uh, in that scenario that I'm... Hypothesizing, of course, involves Pettis rocking Fajeda first, because that's essentially the dynamic of this fight. Can Fajeda, you know, can Anthony Pettis find a finish? And if he doesn't, by the beginning of the second round, I feel like the percentage, you know, that minus 230 goes to a minus 440, um, as far as, you know, it it pretty much doubles, in other words, um, for Fajeda's chances, in my opinion. Uh, Because, again, you know, the pressure-fighting style... um, and whatnot. The only thing is Feda, you know, his his chin is, his, doesn't seem bad or anything. But he also can be clipped and hurt, um, not just from the Poirier fight. Like, you know, uh, I can't remember who hit him with punches. I know Ty, I don't know if Tyson off hurt him, but Tyson hit him a lot with punches that uh, counter right hands, which has always been an underrated punch for Anthony Pettis, and now he's knocking people out with it or rocking them very badly, like Tony Ferguson, and then coming back and winning the Steven Thompson fight. Um, or messing up Nate Diaz until you know it, it's it's just tough to it, it's just it's tough to know what you're gonna get with uh, with Pettis you know um, I'll jump to that in a second sorry I'm, I'm jumping off Fajita, Fajita too early Fajita's been rocked with right hands it's also been rocked with body kicks too to the body uh, even like I believe with the Kyle Nelson fight right and so I'm like I'm seeing him get hit with the stuff that Pettis sparks his finishes off with you know and as far as Jiu Jitsu guys go like yeah Pettis like the good jiu I forget, some commentators like, oh, he hasn't faced good jiu guys, and we haven't seen him yet. I'm like, you know, we have, and he submits the good jiu guys he actually faces, which is the ironic thing. Guys that are unsubmittable, like Benson Henderson, uh, Charles Oliveira. <laughs> um, you know, it's crazy, and the only time he's been submitted was off that injury, and that is the thing that um, I underrated going into that Nate Diaz fight, is Pettis' durability. Now... There are other issues aside from hand and foot that apparently he was dealing with, with that Usada glass hand cut thing, which is like Jesus. Well, you can't make that up. You know what I'm saying? That's not Anthony making excuses. You can't make that shit up. That's just bad luck. Uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, no wonder why he had such a poor performance. And I look like, like such an idiot, like uh, with my analysis of that fight, my, the take that I took, which really wasn't that unpopular of one, or you know, or crazy of one. But yeah, I'm like, okay, that just makes more sense. Either way, though, it's just so hard to count on Anthony Pettis, you know, again, with the durability and, and holding up. Um, the fight goes in deep into the second. Not only do his chances go up because of, you know, opportunistic finisher versus pressure fighter ratio that exists. But again, at, at that point of the fight, like, at this point in Anthony Pettis' career, if he gets to the end of the second round, like, something's probably broke by that time. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, but that being said, um, <sighs> I don't know, man. It just has all the feelings of, like, Fajita's got a good run here, but just fe- and, and and Fortis is on a good run. At 34 years old, and... You know, he's got this crazy engine on him, and a scrambling engine, and that's fucking great. But as far as, like, explosiveness, and power, and athleticism, he doesn't have that. And at 34, you know, where does this, where does this run end, in other words? And Anthony Pettis... We've we've counted him out so many times, and he's shown that he's not done. And then you look; he's only you know he's got a lot of miles, but he's only thirty one or thirty two. I feel like he really gets the win here. And also, this is a really weird metric to base it off of. But Anthony Pettis, for win or lose, sounding good and still shitting the bed, or sounding good and performing good, or sounding off and performing good—all all the iterations, pretty much since he's lost the title, he's had this. You know, except for one forty five, which obviously he still even missed weight then, uh, kind of teasing to what I'm about to say here which is he's always kind of had this bit of a belly on him and he either you, you see it on the way the weight cut down if we're really and I, as a guy who has a belly I have no fucking room to talk I mean you see me in the preview video I got the Hawaiian shirt I got the look I'm a fucking middle-aged dude and like retiree over here with my glasses and fucking belly so I got no room to talk but I'm just saying he, he's got a bit of a belly if you look at comparisons to before and even on times where he kind of looked good going in it was like yeah I'm in great shape he would kind of blow up After the win, you would see a bit of a belly there, dude. I have not. He looks ripped in all his pictures heading into this one. I have not seen Anthony Pettis in this shape since he was in the title form, and that sounds like something silly to base it on, but that's a common that's that goes against the common thread that I've seen with him, and I like that. Uh, So I'm actually going to take Pettis to get a uh, to spark off an opportunistic finish here, whether it's a head kick KO, uh, counter right hand, body kick. That uh, sparks off a, a guillotine finish. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got Anthony Pettis here. At plus 190, I mean, I, I would have took it at... I, I don't blame anybody taking it, even if you're picking Fajita when it gets to plus 200 for a guy like Pettis. But uh, I just put a put a half unit. But, yeah, you don't have to follow me off of that cliff. Probably going to be wrong once again. It's an Anthony Pettis fight, and I'm, I'm I'm somehow picking him, even though I... And I'm not even, like, a big, a big Pettis fan. I don't even pick him a lot. So it's, not, it's just a weird thing. Like, I picked against him more than I pick him. I just... I feel like I always get burned when I pick him, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Macy Barber, minus 900. Roxanne Monteferi, plus 600. You don't need much to tell me, or you don't need me to tell you that, that those odds are out of place here. Uh, love Roxy. Everybody does. She's a sweetheart. A jiu-jitsu coach. Really respectful. Just embodies martial arts. Always working hard. But, Uh, unless she's got some real veteran tricks up her sleeve. I'm not sure because, you know, Jillian Robertson, who I don't think people give enough credit for, and she's got a really explosive ground game. We saw, excuse me, burp. We saw Macy Barber pass that test, and I think she passed this test here. I just hope it's not painful to watch because I like Roxy. The pick is Macy Barber. Um, Sadiq Youssef minus 150. Andre Feely plus 130. This is another fight that's like I think it was uh Zane Simon I was talking to on Twitter like similar to Fajita Pettis like I actually made the time to watch tape for this fight too. Not a ton, but 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 a decent amount. And um yeah, it didn't make me feel much better about my pick, but it reinforced it. I'm actually going to go with uh Feely here. Uh hey man, it's just... You know, Sadiq Youssef, uh he's you know uh, super talent. I think he's got a. I still think he's got a bright future. This might just be that. You know, he already kind of had his prospect loss, that knockout loss. Where he kind of got that weird slam on his face and then knocked out there. And then the ref was also kind of messing with them. That he all uh, older guy from Florida. I forget his name. Uh, God, that's gonna bug me. DC loves it because he always squares uh <laughs> He always squares them off. It's Georgia. Jorge Alonso, Jorge Alonso, yeah, Jorge Alonso was, was, was telling him to keep his hands and kind of got in his head and then he, he got hit with a shot and you don't want to take anything away from his opponent, but it's kind of clear there. Um, but yes, he's got a bright future. I I like that he wants to get back to Africa and, uh, you know, and, and whatnot and actually like, you know, do promotional stuff and and put money back into his home all for that. Uh, again, I think he's got a bright future, but Feely's been on this this quiet run, man. I, I've been picking him and supporting him, um, even in losses that maybe shouldn't have been losses. He could he, he could be on a, on a bigger run right now, but uh, I, I like it, man. He's shown he had that wild brawling style in the beginning. Then he got a little smart, smarter, showing he could fight from southpaw, showed he could fight from the outside and counter. And he he all and then he would incorporate his level changing double into that game and complement it really nicely. Because again, Feely wrestled. Uh, a bit in school and has always had a really underrated power double. Um, And, uh, and now, you know, and then you look at the miles jury fight and then he goes back to the orthodox stance. And after working with CSA sharpens the Muay Thai and shows that he can pressure, he can box and work Muay Thai, you know, throw his leg kicks, check kicks, step out of range, which is something I was looking for because again, Sadiq likes the, uh, Sadiq likes the right leg kick as well as, his obviously fight changing right hand. But, feely's got a chin on him man you really got to hit him with the perfect shot to put him out and even when you do hit him he recovers well Uh, like in that jury fight which to his own admission was more of a stumbling of his feet which i could also kind of see that too um but that jab i think that jab's going to pose problems in that length if he can if he can do it without getting taxed by sadiq's leg kick i think that's going to open up a finish for him via counter right hand or by head kick Shayman Marais got him with a head kick, but who got Marais with a kick? Now you could argue that Sadiq definitely softened uh, Shayman Marais's chin for Feely, but that aside, um, yeah, you look at you look at the, uh you know, you look at their uh, you look at their fights, um, and yeah, they both c- c- KO'd Benitez, which I'm a big fan of Benitez, but even Benitez was kind of finding um, that left hand knocked him down, right? Which Feely also has that shot from southpaw. So I guess maybe counters from the rear, although I really kind of see that right hand um, from Feely opening him up as well as the head kick. And then again, then again, Feely's also going to have that double leg in his back pocket to test Sadiq Youssef's ground game. And Sadiq seems pretty confident in his ground game, albeit we haven't seen it. I mean, he did call out freaking... Um, what's his name? Uh, Gracie. Um, I'm so bad with names right now. What the fuck is going on? Cron Gracie, Jesus, Ice Cream Crone. Um, Which might not have been a good call out considering the shots that he was able to walk through with Cub. And, uh, uh, you know, say what you will about Cub. uh, You know, getting caught with submissions, um, which I hope he recovers from his knee, by the way. Uh, But, you know, uh, as underrated as Yusuf might be, I, I doubt he's on that level. So. We'll see what level he's at. Either way, I feel like the grappling advantages and attempts will be at least enough to help uh, f- sway or further sway, depending on how the fight goes, scorecards, Feely's way. But I actually got Feely by finish, and I can see him winning by decision. You put a plus number on it, I got to take a shot. Oh, wow, went up to plus 130. Ah, gotta, I got it at plus 125. Again, 0.75 units. It's just small stuff. I play for fun. Don't have to follow me off a cliff. Um... All right, that's my that's my opinion on that. Oh, I gotta retweet that one picture that we better call Saul. That, and it looks like Saul Goodman is like checking on Sadiq Youssef after that loss. It's a weird picture, but it's funny. All right, next fight. Nazrat hack this week on hack. Minus one thirty three thirty-five against Drew Dober. Come back on Drew the Underdog Dober plus two seventy-five. Um Again, as you guys know, I've been on. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be all hipster here, but again, I I I've uh, been a fan of Hack Pratt since he stepped on the scene. Um, in fact, I, even though he lost that fight, I picked him uh, in, against Marcin Held, um, and I believe he even had that fight on short notice. Uh, but again, kind of like I've talked about on this podcast before, not it's not always about strength of competition, um, especially if you know what you're looking at skill-wise. You can look at a fighter. And tell, like, okay, I know he's not fighting a good guy, but the decisions he's making are fucking smart, and what he's doing is fucking good. And that is Hak Perez and I've consistently been singing that same tune. Um, It's going to be interesting, because we're going to see him in a southpaw versus southpaw matchup for the first time, so this is another good test for him. Against Drew Dober, who has a plenty of experience on there and has the Muay Thai to offer, um, he looked good in his last southpaw versus southpaw matchup against Benil Daryush in the feet before getting submitted. However... Traditionally Drew Dober does terrible against Southpaws. Um he's one four and one, which that one was a no contest, of course, with the uh Leandro Silva. And the one that he won was um shit, I can't even think of who it was. Oh, Jason Gonzalez. I mean, you know, probably one of the more lower level guys he's actually faced um in a long time. Uh so it, it's 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 tricky, right, when you start mixing in the stats there. But I do believe he will be a strong southpaw test. However, I, I think that um, Hack Brass's counters, kind of like we just saw in that jo- Joaquin Silva fight, are just gonna, it's going to be the difference here. I think he's going to light Dober up that way. Dober's got a hell of a chin, so I don't know if he gets him out of there. Um, it's either going to be like an attrition or doctor stoppage in the third and or an attritional stoppage as far as on the ground with ground and pound because uh, I still think Dober has trouble once it goes there. Um... That being said, it should be a fun barn burner of a fight. And we get to see how Hack Brass does against the Southpaw for a Southpaw matchup. Even though that is somewhat of a question mark, it's not enough to deter me to where, even though I don't have a parlay, I probably will put one together for fun. I don't have one to give you guys. Sorry. I will say a parlay piece, Hack Brass, minus 330 is a good one. I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't really see others that are, there's a lot of just things that are worth taking single shots on, especially at dog odds. So it's not really a parlay thing for me. Um I may do some some super degen stuff with some like you know fights we won't see round three or something with like the Olin Green that's a similar line. You know, maybe I'll do something like that. But honestly, folks, I I, I can't give anything to you. I, I can say that the hack press is a good PP, uh parlay piece. So for what that's worth. On the avoid list, um I mean a lot of this is on the avoid list to be honest, but uh official avoid list, first first of three. Uh Alexa Cameron, minus one fifteen. Justin Ledette, some money's coming on him, minus 105. Maybe they think it's the, uh, this could be the Vet lesson. I don't know how much of a Vet Ledette is. I think maybe more of a prospect loss would be the proper way to frame it, especially if you are taking the Ledette side and a part of that train. Good luck to you. I'm not touching this thing. You know, we, we haven't seen, he looks like an athlete, but we still haven't seen Camor out of the second round. Um, he's still trying to grow into his light heavyweight frame, while Ledette is a former heavyweight, albeit. Granted, he's not a physical force, so it's not like it's that big of a flex, but just saying, right? Something to account for. Um, the debt, you know, could eat him up with that jab if uh doesn't prove his defense and head movement. But the also very boxing-centric, and Kimura does come from a boxing-centric camp, although I don't know how much of is he's having in camp with Stipe being injured. I've seen him in some Instagram posts, but again, I don't know how much he's training with him. Still, it's a very boxing-centric camp. Uh, so he should be well-prepared and he shows he can throw stuff like knees, uh, flying knees, which are, you know, uh, can be kryptonite to guys that, that go heavy on the lead foot like Ladette. although Ledette is tall. Uh, so hopefully for Kimura's sake, he involves some leg kicks and maybe takes off of other playbooks. Maybe he's been, uh, you know, he's got some wrestling under, uh, more wrestling under his belt and, and, and whatnot. He can show who knows either way. I, I, I don't know how you can be confident either way. It's a void list all day. Uh, also officially on the avoid list, Askar Askarov 145. Tim Elliott, comeback on him, plus 125. Um, a lot of people are high on Askaroff, and I guess I could see why. Although, uh, it wasn't completely sold, especially against you know, veterans who can scramble and have a multi-dimensional threat, which was why I took... And still believe there's a good argument for him to win. Although that's another great fight, uh, I took Brandon Moreno. Uh, although that's a great fight, Brandon Moreno, Askarov. As far as again fights that are great examples that justify multiple scorecards. That aside, I still feel like Moreno probably could have walked away with that one um, if we're going off of damage. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think Elliot has as much multi-dimensional threat. Um, Elliot stronger in the wrestling department. Um, as strong and as strong in the scrambling and submission department as Marino if we want to be kind, right? Uh, but perhaps not as potent on the feet as Tim, although the awkward MMA, he can be hard to hit, which is be which can make for a frustrating fight against Askarov, who his strength is not striking. He has shown he can be tagged. Um, it may make him f- swing wild, which he already kind of has a propensity to, to, to do. Uh but that'll only open him up for takedowns on Elliot, which will allow Elliott to score. Now, I believe Askarov can scramble from them, uh, perhaps get dominant positions, and edge out two out of three rounds. That's probably the more likely thing, which, again, I don't disagree that he's favored. But the reason why, despite everybody... um. You know, and the mother's being so high on this guy, the line isn't that high it's for a good reason because Tim Elliott's a hard guy to get a beat on. He will show up in spots like this, win or lose, he will make this a difficult fight. There is some self-admitting homering in this, and that's why it's on the avoid list. But either way, it honestly would be on the avoid list anyways if I was taking the safer pick and Askarov. Actually, gonna 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 sh- sh- uh, shoot on Tim Elliott here. It's on the avoid list. Um, I-, I mean, you know. D that I bet, that I bet. Uh but other than that, I'm I'm avoid this one. Uh good luck to you if you play if you're on the ask if you're high on Askaroff, that's a damn playable line. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the coming back off the injuries and with the Robert Follis and losing his head coach and having to face a guy like Davis and Figueiredo, like I mean Yeah, man. Um I don't know how much weight to put into that. This could be now he's back on the horse fight, so I'll avoid lists either way, but I'll take Tim. Uh, Ode Osborne minus one forty-five. Brian Kelleher, come back on him plus one twenty-five. Um, yeah, it's another tough one. We haven't seen Brian Kelleher since twenty seventeen. He was supposed to uh, have a or twenty eighteen, I think. He early twenty eighteen. He was supposed to have a fight twenty nineteen. He had an injury, but since then it looks like he's been traveling. I mean, even up until late last year, he, he even got down to Factory X again. Another gym, I respect. Getting a lot of looks. Uh, looks like he's finishing off Sarah Longo, or at least getting a lot of sparring in there. A oh, Big fan of Boom Kelleher. Breaks fights down. Um, you know, uh, he uh, likes music, uh, uh, c- CBD, all the... Maybe, maybe maybe he's into the green, too. You know, I don't know. He seems like a cool guy to hang out with, you know. Uh, that, rooting for him to do well, but I got to pick Ode Osborne, man. He really impressed me again. He's another guy... Who earned a high grade, but even higher grade, in my opinion, personally, wasn't uh, than a, than a, than the A that I gave Camor. Uh, Osborne got to show a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, f- he he could fight he could fight coming forward, countering against both orthodox and southpaw fighters, which is good to know because Brian Kelleher can fight from both stances and will switch stances on you. Uh, again, Osborne is a wrestler, but if he's put on his back, he's not just talking shit about his guard game. He's actually got a really good guard game, opportunistic. We've seen. Kelleher caught with opportunistic stuff on bottom in scrambles, whether it's like um, tch, tch. Uh, I believe Andy Main got him back in like the regionals or, you know, you look at uh, which, again, he's really good at that stuff. That's his shit, and I'm a big fan of him. Uh, what's his name? Cheeto Vera. Um, so, yeah, I just I just feel like a guy who can counter, who can scramble, and can hit op- opportunistic submissions, especially if he's putting bad positions off of his back and is athletic, is like – Kinda, he kind of checks all the, the boxes for what I would have to deem like the worst matchups for Kelleher. So I'm rooting for Kelleher to do well, but the pick is Osborne. Um, it, I could justify this on the avoid list because you don't know what you're going to get with Kelleher, but again, I, I feel like even just skimming the dynamics are somewhat clear, but it's also a match that I wouldn't feel confident betting. Not on my avoid list. I'm not betting it despite it, it not being on the avoid list. Do what you will. My pick is odds for him because I, th- I think he's a bad matchup. But we'll see what Brian Keller brings to the table. Uh, I'm hoping he does well. All right. Uh, uh, lastly, on the avoid list, and lastly of the breakdown, Sabina Mazzo, Colombiana. Dan Easy, stay on target, stay on target. Minus 115, JJ Aldridge. Minus 105. Uh, this is really weird. The line's trending. Uh, Mazzo was the underdog, as I believe she should have been. Um, I'm actually going to pick Mazzo here um, shouts to John John Rico and Kings MMA, I have no affiliation to him or them, so that's not the reason, that's not the homering here, but, uh, if, if I'm homering for anything, it's more of something creeping, <laughs> Dan, Jesus Christ, no, because, uh, yeah, I, I, what can I say, man, Colombian girls are my crypt tonight. and, uh, all right, Dan, let's just, let's keep this technique, <laughs> stay on target, stay on top. Ta- by the way, shouts to the, um, uh, I think John John Rico said he's coming in town, I don't know if he's in town yet, I know some junkies are coming into town, but, uh, Shouts to the junkies, man. Miss you guys. And uh, although I'm pretty much locked up and can't really get, you know, my getting out is limited these days, um, I still hope to hear from y'all. Uh, but usually I don't hear from people from fight week, just, not in general, just in general, until like it's like fight night and people don't have a place to watch the fight. So hey, what are you doing? <laughs> no, but shouts to the real ones, though. Y'all know who you are. I got, got, got much love for, for, for y'all. But uh, but yeah, I'm gonna go with Mazo here. Uh, but I think she should be the underdog. I think it's gonna be a somewhat close fight on the feet. But I think Aldridge's southpaw counter is like, I know she's the taekwondo black belt, but I, I think her punches are gonna do her much better. And that Mazo will also have the kicking advantage, so she should stick to boxing range because I think her her, her left cross, right hook counters, and coming as well as coming forward will have a lot of play in this matchup. Excuse me. Hiccuping up and all over the place. and get some water. Come on, buddy. Hold together. Um, I think the clench will be interesting. I think the striking and volume in the clinch will go to Mazzo. But Aldridge, despite being a striker, uh, she really is not afraid to go for that body lock, which will suffocate a lot of the strikes in theory. And she'll even go for some foot sweep takedowns, which will be interesting because Mazo I think she's got the ground advantage, but if Aldridge has control on her mind and is good enough to stay out of the submissions, then she could bank some rounds and edge some rounds out on her. You know what I'm saying? Especially if it's close on the feet. Because uh, Mazo hasn't still yet to show like the scrambling urgency and get-up game yet. Um, like She'll do some stuff for sure to get up and try, but it's not to where I would really like it uh, to be. She seems a little too happy to fight from there, for my liking anyways. Or if you're looking to bet on her, uh, for, I would say for your liking as well. Um, so that's going to be really interesting, that being said, I I do feel like Mazo has the ground advantage, and um, she also kind of has a fearlessness. Now it's got her in trouble because if she doesn't adjust, that fearlessness will just lead her down to kind of a negative path. So that can be in trouble. But that fearlessness I I'm referencing is good because even in fights like with the Lauren Mueller fight, like we saw with Aldridge, despite Aldridge like showing like a clear like stating herself and stating what she can do well, what was working for her early we still see that even when that's going her way like if a fighter kind of stands her ground with her like they can hit her and push her back you know what i'm saying so it's really interesting and and mazo you know she got, that, she got that she got that she got that she got that south american spirit you know that, that, that latina fire uh you know she seems really meek and polite and nice but when she fights i mean you know she 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 seems like she's hard to discourage so i'll take mazo in what's going to be probably a sweaty split decision um i wouldn't play it even if it probably was at dog money to be honest but uh so this line movement really worries me um if it goes out just plus money like i i, I feel like some you know you degens should at least, you know maybe look at at least look at that out of principle but my pick is mazo all right folks recapping from top to bottom taking mcgregor over cerrone taking home over pennington taking olenic over green Taking Grasso over Gedelia. Taking Pettis over Vajeda. Taking Barber over Modaferi. Taking Feely over Yusuf. Taking Paras, Hack Over Dober. Taking Camor over... Did I even make a pick on that fight? Yeah, I guess I'll take Camor over Ledet. I'm not confident in it. Um... Nah, fuck it. I'll take Ladette. Taking Ledette over Kamor. Again, <laughs> on the avoidless, folks. Taking Elliot over Askarov. Taking Osborne. Oh actually, you know what? I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Camor. Sorry. I'll take Camor over Ledette. Sorry. Camor over Ledette. Taking Elliot over Askarov. taking Osborne over Kelleher. Taking Mazo over Aldrich. Parlay piece possible. Is hack brass is, is for what that's worth. I don't know what my parlay is going to be. Straight plays. Feely plus 125.75 units. Pettis plus 190.1. Uh, half a unit. Uh, Olenic plus 110.75 units. Grasso. I'll be keeping an eye out and firing if I see a plus money there. I didn't take any props on my avoid list. Uh, officially is Mazo Aldrich. Kamer Lydette. Askarov Elliott, elliot um check out the links at, at mixedmartialanalyst.com if, if you want to support there you know if we're clicking through through on it or just you know uh the five-star rating and review at itunes always helps or if feeling so generous there's always the paypal link there i don't really deserve either in fact what who uh, who does deserve to be gone to if you're going to go to one link um is, is check out my friends over at my my top sports books Dot com and books not books my top sports books.com and again embedded into the show notes my man Trent Reensmith's preview a betting preview featuring odds and a prediction as well as some nice fun fodder there abetted into the show notes again on your smartphones or at mixmarshallanalyst.com which is the host not just holding the post but the host to this here podcast thank you guys for listening um, I really appreciate your time Uh, uh, that you give me not sure why but I appreciate the shit out of it Uh, have a good weekend try not to get caught up in the brouhaha good luck on your picks and plays and always protect the